As Jesus is in Jerusalem, he's going to be confronted with a decision that will change history one way or the other. But he makes his decision based on a particular principle. Now, there are times when we are faced with critical decisions that may not change history, but will probably change the course of our lives. I think it would be good to see what type of principle Jesus uses when we're confronted with such decisions. If you have your Bibles, and you should, please turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 12, and we're going to start with verse 27. Again, a limited number of verses. Again, just because it's a limited number of verses doesn't mean it's not important, because Jesus is teaching and preaching and discussing things. And so, again, the context is, is that he has entered in Jerusalem, and that triumphal entry, and then the Greeks wanted to meet with him and talk to him. And we're a continuation of his conversation. We don't know if it's a continuation of his conversation with the Greeks or with people in general, but John wants us to know this conversation that Jesus had. And so he says this, And now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Now you see, Jesus is troubled here. and He admits that he's troubled. And later we will see that he again has this situation because he has come to die for our sins. And I don't think we can appreciate that enough. Certainly the physical agony was tremendous. And certainly the shame that he bore was significant. But there is that sense of that he was going to be sin for us. And that all of God's punishment would be laid upon him. I don't think we, we appreciate because we see the other side. But Jesus as a man struggles with what is required of him. And he admits that it's required of him. But he also understands, he goes, but this is why I came. I didn't come for you to get me and me to get you. I didn't come to say a bunch of fancy words. I came that you might have life and have it abundantly, but to do that, I must sacrifice myself for your sins. So he understands that. And so he decides in a principle that I think we should all accept and accept not only by saying that's right, but to do when we are faced with difficult situations. Because let's face it, if Jesus said, you know, Father, you sent me, but I don't want to go. History would be different. You and I would still be in our sin. There would be no reason to meet here, and we wouldn't be meeting here. Because he wouldn't have died for our sins, and he wouldn't have raised from the dead. And so at this crossroad, he makes a monumental decision. And let's see what, how he bases that decision. Father, glorify your name. It's not, Father, I, I don't want this, but it's Father, Glorify your name. 
And maybe when we are faced with life difficult decisions, instead of saying, well, what's best for me? What will cause me the least amount of pain? Which will cause me the least amount of sorrow and shame? We would say, Father, what decision would glorify And let's face it, that's a very difficult principle to, to use because look, we all want it easy. We all want it what's best for us. But Jesus made the decision based on what glorifies the Father and why the Father sent him and what was necessary for you and me. But notice not only when he says, Father, glorify your name, then a voice came out of heaven, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The Father confirms to Jesus, you're going to glorify my name, and I'm going to continue to glorify it, and I will glorify it again. And as I shared with you, when I was in communist China, he glorified it again. And God will continue to glorify his name, even when things seem bleak. But this is the third time that God has spoken in reference to Jesus. He spoke at Jesus' baptism. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. He spoke at the transfiguration. Listen to him. And now he says in an audible voice, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered, and others were saying, it is an angel who has spoken to him. Notice, when God does something, there always seems to be confusion. When people who don't know God think that it's probably thunder, it's probably a natural occurrence. Everybody explains things it's a natural occurrence. And if it's not a natural occurrence, it could have never have happened. But others who kind of understand, miss who's speaking. They say, it must be an angel. But in reality, it's God himself. God himself is comforting and advising his son that I'm glorifying and you're doing it. And Jesus answered and said, this voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. So Jesus, number one, tells them it wasn't thunder and it wasn't an angel. The voice was spoken for your sake. Jesus said, I didn't need to hear audibly from the Father. I not, the Father and I communicate constantly. What the Father says, I do. What the Father is, I go. But I, that voice was sent so that you might know that the Father is being glorified by his son. Now Jesus continues, says, now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. You see, there's going to be a significant thing that's happening. It used to be that Satan could just go willy-nilly wherever he wanted. He's going, he's going to be cast out. And judgment has come upon the world. Now, Jesus will tell us that he didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. But judgment will come based on what we do with Jesus coming into the world. 
And so he says, there is things happening. Judgment will be coming upon the world. And that liar, that one who is the leader of the rebellion will be cast out. Then he announces the type of death that he will suffer. And I, notice, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Now, there's two things that he says that we kind of miss because of the language. Because if I am lifted up from the earth. Now, the, the immediate thought, which is correct, is that when he is lifted up on the cross, but it also means when he's lifted up from the earth. So when he is lifted up on the cross and when he is lifted up from the grave, he will gather all men to himself. It's both events that causes us to come to him. And then he says, we'll draw all men to myself. Now all can mean one of two things. All can mean uh, non-exclusive. Or it can mean without exclusion. He doesn't mean without all in the sense of everyone. He means all in the sense of without distinction, without exclusion. You can come if you're a Jew. You can come if you're a Greek. You can come if you're a Gentile. You can come if you've been a God-fearer. You can come if you're a flat sinner. He will draw everyone to himself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. So he tells us that his death will not be by stoning. His death will not be by being hit by a chariot. His death will be by being lifted up, by being crucified. And his statement, we are told this because we are John is making sure we don't miss the point. But the people who are standing around didn't miss the point. As he says this, the crowd then answered him, we have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever. And how can you say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? And so they're going, well, we heard somewhere that in the law, the Christ will live forever. So maybe you're not this person. And so who is the Son of Man? Because the, we thought the Son of Man was the Christ and we're confused. Now they're getting this verse, not from the law, but from the psalm. Uh, I believe it's Psalm 69. It talks about the Christ remaining, the Messiah remaining. But you see, they don't understand the whole plan of God. The whole plan of God is that he is there to be a propitiation for us, to die for our sins and to rise from the den, dead, and as we've sang, sang, and to reign forevermore. So the Christ will fulfill this. It's not a matter of never dying. It's a matter of rem remaining forever. And this verse is always still there. I remember time flies, it was probably longer ago than I thought, but it was a few years ago. 
that there was a man, a rabbi in New York City, who claimed to be the Messiah. And then something terrible happened to him. He died. So his followers kind of tried to hide it from everybody else that he died. And it's interesting that Jesus told us that there will be others who will claim to be the Christ. The Christ remains and reigns forevermore. Because he followed the whole counsel of not God, not one verse. So Jesus is going to respond to them and say, So Jesus said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that the darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. So Jesus says, I'm, I am the light. I am with, been with you. Walk in me. Understand what I'm doing. Instead of saying, well, who is? Because Jesus has been saying who he is. They keep asking the wrong questions. They should, they should say, well, this is our understanding. So help us to understand. They don't. Because everybody thinks they know it all. Especially people who have never read the Bible. Or the people who have read it one time. I love that. Or I read the Bible once. Great. I read a lot of books once that I have no remember of what I read. Some books I wish I read it, would have read again because maybe they were pretty important and I forgot most of what was in it. So the scriptures are so packed with wisdom that our finite minds need to not just read it, but to be enveloped, to walk in the light. Not to turn the lights on and to go into a different room, but to walk in the light. So the darkness will not overtake you. Because he's saying, if you walk in the darkness, you don't know where you're going. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of light. He's, saying, he's making an invitation. Notice, Jesus always invites people to come. You have the light. Believe in the light so that you might become sons of... It's not a matter of just saying, oh, I have wisdom. I've become enlightened. Jesus is saying, no, that you might become changed. That not that you become enlightened, but that you become sons of light, that you become children of God. He's asking us to not turn over a new leaf, but to be different. To have a new birth, not just a change in our way, but children of light. So again, these words, as Jesus is going closer and closer to Passover, and closer and closer to his crucifixion, what he has to say is important. And maybe we should learn in this to ask the right question. And as Jesus did, to make decisions based on 
glorifying God. Make decisions on what will make us children of the light, sons of the light, rather than being, I'm smarter than the person next to me. Then Jesus does something that we would not expect of him. These things Jesus spoke, and he went away and hid from them, hid himself from them. Well, why did he do that? Because God was on a very specific timetable. You see, he couldn't become too popular because there would be mounting pressure to crucify him early. He also couldn't be too hated too soon because, again, they would try to change the timetable. And God is in control, and he will go out to the temple and teach and preach, and then will withdraw. And he'll go back and he'll withdraw until the time is right that God has set for everything to happen. Sometimes the best things we can do is not be there. To let God do what God does in God's time. But I want it right now. And if we really understood what Jesus was doing, we would say, if I'm going to be saved from my sins, then let's crucify you now so that I can be free from my sins. That's not God's time to you. And in reality, once you become free from your sin, and once you understand what God has done for you, you would have said, God, your sacrifice wasn't worth it. Because I came to you, and I'm not worth it. And if the whole world, all six billion plus of us now and all that has ever lived, came to you and became children of yours based on your sacrifice, it still would not have been worth it. Because the Son of God has infinite value. But you see, God did not compare what he was giving up with what he was getting. God so loved the world that he gave. It wasn't a worthwhile exchange, but he did it in you. Because at the cross, at the his blood ran red. That I might know love that I've never, ever, ever experienced. And I have been loved and I have lost love. But all the love I've had that has been very valuable and very important in my life has never matched the love I've experienced with him. Because of what I saw and what he did.